the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 18th. What a first two weeks it has been of the 2021 season. Of course, the on-court action delivering thus far. We have seen some fantastic play in Abu Dhabi, Antalya, Delray Beach. Of course, we saw some really fun action unfold during Australian Open qualifying. And then, of course, we have ITF Pro Circuit events week in, week out of every professional tennis season, but perhaps the only thing that has eclipsed the on-court product is the drama tennis is producing off of the court. Everything going awry right now in Australia. Players complaining now that 72 to 107 of them are in super quarantine conditions, meaning they're not going to be able to get out on the practice courts, leave their room at all over the next two weeks per the Australian government's guidelines as they try to ensure this pandemic is not enhanced in their country due to the presence of a global sporting event, but of course, you know, this is what we expected coming into this season. We knew there were going to be circumstances, there were going to be protocols that were going to be extreme, and there were going to be some serious obstacles, hurdles for these players to overcome, for Tennis Australia to overcome, for us to even get to the 2021 Australian Open, but of course, I'm sure all of us have enjoyed the quarantine content these players are providing, whether it's the training they're doing in their rooms, the fun videos of them trying to stage jailbreaks to get some fresh air, and then of course the relief on the face of those players who are able to go and travel. It's been, you know, the start to the season has been everything I suppose we could want as a tennis fan. And of course, things heat up now. We've got, I suppose, a slight lull in the action, but before we know it, it'll be February 1st. Warm-up events on the ATP and WTA Tour will be getting underway. And then, of course, the second week of February, we've got ourselves the first Grand Slam of the season. Of course, college tennis heating up as well. It's ITA kickoff weekend week here at Cracked Rackets, meaning we are going to have Tons of preview content for all of you listeners to get you amped for the kickoff of the college tennis season. Last week, Chris Hallioris, Matt Stokoyak, and I broke down the ITA rankings. This week, we have our Super Mailbag show where we're going to be answering some fan questions, giving some predictions for the seasons, that and so much more. Of course, we've already uh, recorded our ITA preview show. We're going to have to record an addendum to that, given some late-breaking information. Texas Tech, UCF, both out of the kickoff weekend on the men's side, so we'll talk about the impact of those decisions and more. But a really fun time to be a tennis fan, and of course here at Cracked Rackets, we want to do our part to help ensure all of you are prepared for all of the action that is coming your way. So to help do that, we brought on one of my favorite guests, a Cracked Rackets returning champion, pro tennis coach, consultant, a guy we had on this podcast at the end of last year, Sandy Middleman, one of our friends from the Tennis One universe, and you know, a guy who has seen a lot of pro tennis, has lived the lifestyle in pro tennis, has been around the game's best, a great wealth of expertise joins us on the show today to talk about some of the most intriguing players entering this 2021 season. We play a little game of buy, sell, or hold on today's show. We go through, I believe, three players on this version. It's a two-part podcast. All of you listeners can be excited about. We talk Sonia Kennan on this one. We talk about, I believe, uh, FAA and Elena Rabakina as well. Uh, We also discuss the impact of this quarantine in Australia because, of course, again, Sandy, having coached uh, 
professional players talking about what two weeks off means for so many of these players, how the training they're doing in their rooms can help them accommodate for the circumstances we are all playing under. That's the start of the podcast. Then we get into our game of buy, sell, hold. Of course, on tomorrow's mini break, you'll be hearing part two of this conversation. I think Sandy and I went something like two hours overall, so wanted to divide that in two parts for all of you listeners. And again, tell you all about some of the players we will be watching most closely because we think their results could uh, be significant ones during this 2021 season. So very much looking forward to all of you listeners hearing this podcast. I know it's a long intro. We've got a lot going on here. The 2021 season heating up. Of course, if you missed any of last week's action, you can go check out Judson Wall's weekly review preview article on our website. You can go check out The Deciding Point, our YouTube weekly show, Jamie McDonald and I coming together to talk about the biggest storylines in the tennis world. And of course, we continue to keep you updated day in, day out. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. I am at Great Shot Pod. The reason we are able to provide all this content for you listeners, of course, due to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. You know the deal, so I'll just say it. Go to MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. It's the best gear at the best prices. You're doing yourself a favor. You're doing us a favor. You're doing the tennis world a favor by shopping with our friends at Midwest Sports. So MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Sandy Middleman. Joining me now on the podcast, a returning champion here on our Cracked Racket shows. You know him as a former pro tennis coach, consultant, head of the Layla Fernandez bandwagon. I know him most importantly as my mishpacha. It is Sandy Middleman. Sandy Manishma, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Uh, always good when I'm on with you, Mr. Gruskin, the, the, the leader, Cracked Rackets, always brings the creativity, the flow, the rhythm, hard to keep up with you, but do my best. I appreciate that. My dad still calls me Master Gruskin because he says you're not worthy of the Mr. title yet. He said you're definitely more of a master than anything else, so I will always take the formal uh, qualification, but of course, Happy New Year to you, my friend. Happy to see you are staying safe and healthy. Happy to see your smiling face. Uh, I have to ask these questions to all of our guests. Everything is well in Sandyville? Uh, well, I'm proud to know there is a Sandyville, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, everything, you know, I'm in West Palm Beach at home, like most people are, you know, uh, yeah. in the last year and just uh, keeping it low key and uh, spending a lot of time on Zoom more than I ever thought I would and uh, <laughs> getting quite used to it. I'm thinking about getting stock in the company just for kicks because I literally do it all day, every day. Uh, but yeah, no, all, all is good. Just, you know, keeping keeping low key and staying safe and healthy and that's it. That's great to hear, and that was a low-hanging fruit for a transition. Speaking of stocks, let's get to buy, hold, sell. We'll get to that in a second. I have to say, if there's a Jacksonville, there can be a Sandyville. I think that's just oh, balance. You, that's you balance in the force. I feel so proud. I feel, <laughs> yeah. I feel fantastic. Of course, and my second question, and I know this is a little bit random, but I know a lot of our listeners are coaches or they're involved in the tennis world. I'm curious for you, how much time have you actually gotten to spend on court? And at this point in the pandemic, do you think most players Players, most coaches have found a rhythm in terms of being able to return to some sense of normalcy in their practice routines? Yeah, it's actually a good question. And it's actually interesting that you asked me because I, I've gotten that question a fair bit from friends in the business and just random people talking about 
obviously tennis because god knows i don't seem to talk about anything else but tennis that's <laughs> why we love shocking, having you which is shocking <laughs> um but yeah so i myself um since the pandemic started what about indian wells shut down last year roughly give or take when it sort of everything stopped that's we're talking 10 months ish right give or take and i myself have been on a tennis court um one time in October for three hours. And since then, I I might have been on it one more time, but it wasn't in a professional capacity. It was in a very relaxed 20-minute personal. Mm-hmm. So in terms of professional and actually coaching, mm-hmm. um, I had one family come from out west. We worked on it for four months to set it up. They came to see me for one day. And if I'm being honest with you, I was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't, you know, like you, you kind of don't feel like you can, I don't know, act normal, move in certain places. They come, you know what I mean? Like little things, honestly, that I didn't think about, but they come towards you, you back up, you know what I mean? Like all this stuff, um, wear a mask, take it off, you know, cause you're away and you're in space. And, and even with the family and the parents, and they were so nice. The, what them was not the problem, but just like them wanting to talk and, you know, being near each, you know, and all this stuff. So I just kind of have basically not been on a court. Um, I've been doing all the work I've been doing in terms of type of coaching per se. I've been doing it via Zoom, um, consulting assessments, whatever I can do. And yeah, I know that to your question's point, there's a lot, I know a lot of people that are on the court quite often uh, in many places. Honestly, I think at this point, it's truly a, a personal, like, you know, choice to be, and I know why people are, because A, they, they got to make money, right? Obviously, logically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just, I kind of feel like for me, I've had a few people ask me if I wanted to come for a few days somewhere, or they could come for a few days. And I start thinking the, the whole quarantine thing and like all that stuff. I just say to myself, seriously, mm-hmm. is it really actually worth it? to do all that just to do that for like two or three days. And the answer for me has been no, it's just too much of a headache. So yeah, so I'm just staying low key and until I vaccinate that, you know, the vaccine and all that stuff. And, or unless there's some, I don't know, you've probably heard this with many people you talk to, <laughs> unless there's some unbelievable extenuating yeah. circumstance that I just can't say no to, then yeah. I just stay low key. That's no, it. if Novak Djokovic calls, you'd be like, "Well, I might, I might Novak, have to." Let do me this give one. it. A, let me let me give it a minute. Hold on. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But no, to your point, it's fascinating because you know, for professional players, for professional coaches, even for club coaches, they're yeah. going to get back on court because it's their livelihood. To your point, but sure. the unsung. Uh, well, I suppose it will be talked about much more if we're ever through this pandemic is what about all those kids who are developing who maybe have now given up the sport because it's just not feasible to go to your club and play in these groups of eight or sometimes, you know, 30 people when you're in that young junior developmental program. And, you know, I suppose for juniors who are still trying to take their training seriously, do you find I mean, I, I nowadays, you know, in my profession, profession, it's still funny to say, but I watch a lot of tennis on my computer, on my laptop, on TV, whatever it may be. I'm breaking right. down film of the players I'm watching. If I was a coach, 
you want to do that, but to a certain point, there's a feel you get being on court with your player where you're just, okay, like, yeah, you're making this forehand, but we can both tell it doesn't feel natural. We can both tell this isn't something you want to do. Is that something from a coaching perspective you struggled with, or do you think you can overcome the basic humps via Zoom coaching or whatever you've resorted to? Yeah, it's a a really good question and point. Um, I was actually having a conversation maybe like three weeks ago. I don't exactly remember at this point. I'm honestly losing. I don't even know what day it is. It's it's Monday. Um, But I was having a conversation um, with a friend slash colleague of mine, and we were talking about his company and his product. And why and why what it's uh, like the the target consumer or you know the target market and interestingly we were talking about slinger okay and you know so Mike Bellardi is the CEO of slinger and so we're talking about a couple of different things I've got one but not to bring up the company but just the concept of what you're talking about look I feel like in junior development and junior and development of tennis in general I feel like for a long time people have been I don't know, convinced that the way to get better is by massive amounts of consumption. The more balls you're out there hitting for hours on end a day, that can only lead to one place, better. And better means better results. And so not not less is more, not that kind of a thing. So. Like one of the things that I've told parents many times more last year, like in the middle of everything, when it sort of first started is, I said, look, there's so many ways of becoming a better tennis player that have nothing to do with standing on a court for hours and hitting a ball, nothing to do with it. And if this pandemic and this situation that everybody is in at the same time, isn't gonna open up your eyes to see the bigger picture and what you could be doing differently that you're not doing differently now or that you're not used to, then honestly, I can't say that anything ever will because everybody's in the same position. So quick, quick background, how I grew up playing. I grew up on a wall, a garage and a ball machine. I didn't see a court or a coach or, you know what I mean? Or like a program type of situation for the first, I don't know, couple of years I was playing. But these days, the way it works, right, is your little kid, you want to put them in a program, you'll bring them to the club. And then once they're in that program, they sort of go in the cycle, right? Well, here's an opportunity. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something, you probably know this, because you know, all these things, because you're like the you're like the granddaddy of knowing everything everywhere. You see my hair. I, I, I listen, I know I see your hair. Love it. I wish I had that hair. I'm still <laughs> glad I have some. Um, but did you did you see that video that was posted months and months and months ago of the two girls in Italy on the roofs? Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought to myself, okay, first of all, that's unbelievably cool, mm-hmm. right? Or fun. Yeah. But I thought to myself, would they have ever done that if they yeah. weren't in this situation? And secondly, who else is starting to do stuff like that? Because the truth is, is they could get better in many ways just by doing what they're doing there every day even if it's for 10 minutes. Yeah. No, right? the volley control. It absolutely, it's a thing. 
You it's have a thing, to, right? Yeah. No, you have to get creative. And, you know, this is why I always enjoy having you on the show because anytime I get to quote Malcolm Gladwell and his 10,000-hour theory, right, because that's what popularized this idea that if you spend enough time on a court, you can master – you spend enough time doing anything, you, in theory, as a human, should be able to master anything. And as someone sure. with an above-average ego, I like to believe in subscribe <laughs> to that theory because I like to think, give me 10,000 hours. Am I going to dunk a basketball? No, but I'm going to get a lot better at basketball, and so my physical limitations right. will set a ceiling. But to you know, I can master the skill, whatever it may be. But there's a feel to tennis. You're right. There's absolutely some a creativity. Just putting yourself in different competitive scenarios, even if it's not directly, hey, we're playing a two out of three set match, but just abbreviated scenarios or tiebreaker tennis, whatever you're doing to condense your practice time, I agree with you. Like, I think uh, it's about efficiency as much as anything. Is it Roger Federer and Pete Sampras who notably spend like an hour on court each because they know the shots they want to work on? They're there for a purpose. They're very disciplined in getting maximizing their time on court. And it's an interesting, you know, again, but I promise we are going to buy, we are going to sell, we are going to hold. But I have you here, Sandy. So these players in Australia, somewhere between 72 and 107 of them may not sniff a court for two weeks. Now, they do have a week of warm-up events, whatever it may be, before the actual Australian Open starts, where if they're testing negative, they're going to be able to get out of their room. But we see the videos of players taking swings against the mattress. We see them doing these footwork drills in uh, their room, whatever it may be. I guess my question is, to what degree should we worry about muscle atrophy, about just the percentage raise of injuries because these players aren't going to be on a court for two weeks and then we're expecting them to compete against the best of the best in the biggest stage of tennis. Are you concerned at all about injury and just your general thoughts on the level of play we can expect? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. And actually that question came up to me, something like that came up to me last night, Uh, but Mm -hmm. not, not the exact question, but something in context of it. And to your point, yeah, I mean, honestly, I literally think it's a coin flip to what to what you what the, the general tennis fan or consumer out there that's getting excited for the Aussie Open right in the new year. What they should expect, because look, if you and I don't think they're on our list that we're going to dive into with the buy, hold, sell, and all that crazy stuff. But I think just in terms of the concept of it, right? So you mentioned the muscle atrophy and all that. Look, I'm a big believer that. When you put 128 players in a Grand Slam field, the person – well, let's put it this way. On the, on the men's side and the women's side, ATP, WTA, whomever is making it to the final four or the finals, per, put aside winning it, just getting to that stage where everybody cares, mm-hmm. right, about every time you're doing something with a shot, mm-hmm. I believe that 98% of it, is mental and emotional management. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's obviously that small bit that's wrapped in there with the physical and the technical and the tactical, but the bottom line is everybody knows how to play and everybody is obviously really good. Otherwise they wouldn't actually be there. Okay. So when it comes to this particular moment, just like last year, right? Paris and New York, right? Nobody really knew what to expect or how to deal with it. The difference now is that, I think that there's going to be, there's a few players, right? Now, without getting into names and going down that plan, there's a few players that literally haven't played in almost a year and a quarter, right? So 
nobody actually knows what to think about that, right? That's just like, let's get out there and play. If we can get past a round or two, not be so competitively sore because they will be sore because they haven't felt the competitive stress, right? And welcome back to the tour. Welcome back to the party, quarantine, <laughs> Aussie Open, right? Exactly. Welcome back, you know, as they roll out the carpet. Usually the carpet looks a lot nicer. Now it's just like, get in your room and don't come out, right? It's now like it's literally time. a carpet. It's literally a carpet, right? <laughs> and, and by the way, by the way, to your point, how there's videos being posted, hilarious, of like yeah. people hitting against mattresses and I'm sorry. Are those rooms too small? I don't think so. Right? Yeah. They're not staying at the. Uh, they're not staying at the uh, the Airbnb. Okay. They're yeah. pretty nice, right? So the, the the point is is that there's a lot of things they're going to have to overcome, obviously. And I think that the two things that are going to be the most you know prevalent factors in them any of the guys and girls succeeding, the way they have their own expectations, right? Forget about what everybody else thinks is that number one, their teams around them are managing the, the sort of physical sort of stresses slash preparation slash recovery, because I think that's an underrated topic. I think everybody talks about preparation, but they don't really focus on recovery because these players, they are going to be sore when matches are done because they're not used to that, whatever that, you know, that match stress feels like. And can you imagine one player, she's not in the list, but just for the sake of the conversation, because she came up last night. Can you imagine Ash Barty? Yeah. Now, Ash Barty, that girl's an athlete, okay? And Ash Barty's got every shot in the book and then five that they haven't been written in the book yet, right? Okay? But she also hasn't played. Yeah, in a year and a half. And she's also at her home tournament, which, hello, that's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so you're right. It's just it's horrifying. Or like these are two players we're not going to be talking about, but you know Ashley Barty or how about Belinda Bencic, who when we last saw her at the 2019 U.S. Open, I was back on the bandwagon fully. I was like, yep, Belinda Bencic going to be winning slams. The power she can produce, the way she moves the ball around the court, it's so easy. I haven't seen her play consecutive matches, play with a rhythm in over a year. And, like, right. all of these things absolutely matter. And so it is going to be really, really interesting to see which players respond best, not only physically, but you're absolutely right. You know, we have a, our friends at DraftKings, the over-under we made with them, there's 257, uh, going to be 257, or 255, excuse me, singles losses over the course of the weekend. It's an over-under 103.5, or I guess 254 since there are two winners, 103.5 people cite, well, you know, we just didn't have the preparation we want, whatever, in their post-match press conference after they lose. That excuse is going to be heard over and over again, and it's just like, look, this is the reality of playing a, pan- uh, of playing a slam in a pandemic. If you were to, if we were to name right now, if we were to name, okay, let's say four players two guys and two girls that I would under any circumstance in any way, all factors considered because everybody's in the same condition, right? It's not like it's, you know, split up or you don't have this or it's literally the same. Okay. If I were to put, and these aren't part of the groups that we're going to talk about, but just in terms of this part of the conversation, if I were to put my money on the four players, I think would be able to manage everything better than anybody because they've already proven they can manage circumstance better than most. Mm-hmm. Novak, 
because he's just a basically just a mental giant, right? Okay. Rafa, because he's literally a mental giant, but he's also prepared to suffer physically and knows how to manage what that feels like for him personally, right? And then with the girls, Serena, because Serena's just got, you know, she's just got power amplified and she's Serena. So nobody wants to play Serena per se, right? Okay. And honestly, the other one is Bianca Andrescu. It's for me, it's a no brainer. Not not because I know her and I know the family, just purely from a tennis perspective, because let's face it, she's proven over and over in 2019 that given the circumstance, mentally she can rise up and deal with it. And the bigger the moment, the more she loves it. That doesn't mean it'll happen. That just means the opportunity's there, right? But I think to your point, biggest word of the 20, 20, what year are we in? Three? No, 21. Aussie Open? It's, no, it's 50-56 in the year of our 50, 56? Yeah, yeah there whatever you go. it is. I think the biggest word, honestly, is recovery. Mm-hmm. How is anybody that wins a match going to be prepared to recover because they're going to feel it more than they normally would? Mm-hmm. And that's where Novak, Rafa, Serena just are a level above everyone else. And by the way, you Absolutely. mentioned uh, another fantastic player there in Bianca Andrescu, someone we could talk about certainly heading into this 2021 season. But with that in mind, uh, you know, let's get to our list by sell hold. And again, we were texting before this podcast. I said, Sandy, I want to talk about some of the players uh, coming into this season. Who are you high on? Who are you low on? Who do we think are going to be some of the notable uh, candidates throughout the year? Now, there are some obvious, you know, by candidates who we expect excluded from this list. Anyone who's not buying Naomi Osaka stock, not buying Arena Sabalenka stock, Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner stock on the men's side, right? Those are so obvious. Like those, We don't need to talk about those. We've talked about those all offseason. Similarly, with all due respect to Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, those prices are where they are. They're not going anywhere. So we can say those are thoroughly at the hold mark. Similar with a guy like you know Dominic Team. He won his first Grand Slam. You could make a case. It's an interesting. Are you buying it? Are you selling it? Are we holding it? Whatever. We're going to throw that to the side because he'll be a huge conversation. Uh, But we have a list of 10 players and our goal is to not go for three hours. So we may only get through like six of these players, but somewhere between six to 10 players, we have a list of that I want to go through because I think they're all for one reason or another in really interesting places uh, in their careers. Uh, And we will play a little game of buy, sell, hold, run through the stats for these players run through what we expect to see from them in 2021 with that in mind Westoff, give me some sort of buy sell hold I'm thinking Wolf of Wall not Wolf of Wall Street excuse me Wall Street the original with Charlie Sheen my man uh not my man actually I don't endorse endorse the actions of Charlie Sheen whatsoever anyways give me some sort of a uh, Wall Street sound effect and let's get into this segment All right, Sandy, with that in mind, again, five men, five women for us to break down. It should be uh, a really fascinating season because as we saw throughout – 2020 as we saw really throughout 2019 and 18 on the women's side as well it's a time of change 
on the tour. Mm. Generationally, we are seeing shifts occurred, and you feel it most when you see guys like Burdich, Ferrer, all start to retire, of course, as well, but of course, you see this rise of next-gen ATP and WTA players, too, whether it's, you know, the most notable being Barty, Osaka, Kennan, Andrescu, all winning slams on the women's side, but of course, you've also got people like Arena Sabalenka, like, uh, you know, honestly, the Annette Conteves, Elena Rabakina's, Maria Sakris, Mertens's of the world, who are 25 and under, similarly on the men's side, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, Hachinov, Chorich, it's literally A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you could find a last name for every letter of the alphabet, these players are brave, except for maybe Z, I don't know, Zidanzik, maybe on the women's side, but I think she's That's yeah. show. <laughs> There's a segment idea. I'm putting that in the queue. Don't yeah, don't steal that from us anyone. But the point being, it's obviously a time of generational change. And so uh, I wanted to talk about some of the players who maybe by age, maybe just, again, where they are in their career trajectories, uh, face a really interesting 2021 season where, of course, by the way, this hangs over every converse, every player we're talking about. So some of the things that are known qualities, right? We're all playing in pandemic. We're all playing. They are all playing in pandemic conditions. So do we know what the exact schedule is going to look like? Do we know who and when people, if they test positive no these are all factors of course that will play out throughout the course of the year but the player I want to start with someone I know uh, you are a big believer in and it goes back to what you were just saying about being able to handle the circumstances of every event you play being able to uh, adjust and adapt to each and every opponent that you're facing opposite you on the court and that's Sonia Kennan and of course Mm -hmm. for all of us tennis fans Kennan was probably the women's player I mean she won the award WTA player of the year in 2020 but she was the story from start to finish starts off the year obviously so incredibly at the Australian Open winning her first title there she goes on wins another title in February then has a really good world team tennis season which matters to those of us hardcore fans continues her success uh, into Roland Garros where she makes the final round of 16 in New York wasn't great but you know, her, the loss she took to uh, Elisa Mertens. Mertens played just a really, really nice match. But, you know, I think for Sophia Kennan, it's a really interesting year heading into 2021 because you look for her, obviously, I think she was like third or fourth in terms of total wins on the season last year on the WTA Tour. She went 24-9, I believe, overall. Obviously, her last tournament of the year making that final on a different surface in Roland Garros. A huge breakthrough for any player. You look at where she's at in the live rankings heading to this season. She's currently number four right now, only 22 years old. Uh, wasn't the best week to start out 2021 in Abu Dhabi. We will talk about that in a second, but just we'll start here. Uh, Sandy, Sophia, Sophia Kennan, buy, sell, hold heading into 2021. I think you got to buy. Um, make the case. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's simple. Um, I think the match you referenced, or I don't know about the match, but the tournament in Abu Dhabi, she lost to uh, Sakari, what, Owen the third, right? But I think for me, it's what I call one of those things that it, with, with her level, with what she's doing in the game, it's one of those sort of what I call anomalies. It's one of those, let's, let's like sort of wake up. The alarm clock went off to start the year, right? Okay. I don't see that. If they played that same match, those two girls in the Aussie Open, I don't see anywhere near a 6-0 final set as good as Sakari is. I think she kind of brings a couple things to the party which I think are undeniable. One is 
she loves the she loves the street fight. She loves it. So the bigger the street fight, the more you're going to see her roar, right? She loves that. Two, she's super adaptable. So she 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 feels the game, even though she looks for me like people look at her like as a rhythm player from the baseline. She's super adaptable. So you know she'll throw in that drop shot on the backhand side where she drops the racket the last second, and that bothers a lot of girls. Backhand is like a backhand from the god. She can hit it anywhere at any time, however she wants, under any circumstance against any any player. It doesn't matter. She owns it. The forehand is what I call the controllable. She'll hit a few winners. She'll miss more on that side, but it's pretty much solid as a rock. I mean, she's not gonna, you know, she's not gonna wow the twenty thousand in the stadium with the forehand, but she's also not gonna hear a lot of groans because she makes enough of them. Um, I would think, honestly, I would think the one X factor going into the tournament, apart from all the things that we've been talking about that everybody's got, I think the one X factor is honestly, it's like, okay, now you're defending champion, right? Now you're going into the tournament four, player of the year, right? Okay. So now we see what happens. But uh, for me, she's definitely a buy. I think, I think that for her, the tougher thing is not going to be how she is playing in the Aussie Open. I just think the tougher thing will be um, backing up or defending the year. But I still think she's a buy. She's on the way up. She's there to stay. Yeah, so again, for Sophia Kennan, and I have the official stats now, 25-10 in 10 last season, but of course you look at the title, she won Australian Open, Lyon, and then that final in Roland Garros, she was at her best in the biggest events of the season. Of course, you look more specifically the wins she got throughout the course of the season, right? It's not like it was a soft draw for her at the Australian Open. During it, she beats, you know, Coco Goff round of 16, Owen Jabour, who was one of the 15 best players during the 2020 season. Then, of course, she knocks off Ashley Barty in Australia in a straight set semifinal six and five. That was a really, really fun match. And then, of course, to beat an informed Garbine Muguruza, who was back to her top 10 self last season. It was a phenomenal run through the draw. And then for her, you know, the most outstanding moment for me, you talk about someone who's a mental warrior. She lost 0-0 in Rome, Sandy. And that match was horrible to Vika. It was everything went wrong. Every worry you have about Sophia Kennan. Does she actually have the weapons match in, match out to make things easy enough for herself? Doesn't that second serve sit a little bit shortened against a power player? Doesn't that get exposed? The answer in Rome was an unequivocal yes. And of course, it was a red hot Vika Azarenka who lost once in New York and it was, you know, to Naomi Osaka in the final. Uh, But still, that was concerning. And for her to bounce back from that, it was a soft draw in Roland Garros. You know, the toughest player she played up until the semifinals was probably Fiona Farrow, who's really, really good, obviously, but, and that was a three-set match, but, you know, if I'm saying, hey, you're playing Fiona Farrow in the round of 16, Sonia Kennan probably signs up for that tomorrow, if I say that's the case in Australia. Um, And so, you know, again, you're absolutely, everything you said is correct. That being said, here's why I'm a hold. Because you look at some of the... No, because you made a really good case for the buy. And anyone who's selling Sonya Kennan, if they ever try to give you advice in any sort of aspect of your life, be like, no thanks, friend. Like, you're selling Sonya Kennan. That's about as sure a thing as you're going to find in women's tennis. She is probably the gold of women's tennis right now. And we don't have to do my rant against the gold standard right now. I think my my anti-gold standard stance is well noted at this point in the Great Shot podcast because why we say this arbitrary medal is worth anything anymore is a discussion for another time. But 
for Sonia Kennan, you look at a breakdown of the stats, the things she's improved on, and I mentioned it there, my concern about her lack of natural pop. And look, in terms of a complete toolbox, perhaps no women's player right now has a better skill set than Sonia Kennan. Down the line, cross court, short angle, elevated high over the net, slice, willingness to move forward, all of these different things she can do at a minimum very, very well. But you look at her rates of improvement over these past couple of seasons. So back when she first played her uh, first full season in 2018 uh, of WTA Tour matches, she made, or excuse me, in 2017, she made 63.6% of her first serves. The next two years, it was at 66%. Last year, it was at 69%. I mean, in terms of the low-hanging fruit, the easy improvables, the controllables, as you call it, that was one of them. And she has continued to get better at that. And even if she, you know, I think to expect a first server to serve over 70% of their first serves, and now you're talking about the best of the best in tennis history. And so do I think Kennan's got one of those serves? I don't know about that. She, I don't want to say she's maxed out her improvement, but you look at the corresponding win percentage for her in terms of her first serve win percentage, it's kind of plateaued between that 63 to 66% range. And even if she continues to make more first serves, I don't know how much higher I can see that number going because I don't know how big of a weapon that serve will ever become. And then, you know, similarly, you look at the stats from last season, how Sonia Kennan was compared to her peers on the WTA Tour as a returner, her win percentage on the and the first serve compared to her top 50 peers. I believe Kennan is at 39th on the season, which is lower than I expected. Like, I, I view her as a very good returner. The numbers last season, not exactly bearing that out. I don't know, at... It's not the reason why I'm not buying is because last season we didn't see a full season of Halep. We didn't see a full season of Osaka, a full season of Andrescu, a full season of all of these players who I do think possess more power, more pop, and can kind of hit her off the court. And sort of every result broke Sophia Kennan's way last year. So that's why I would hold. I just, I, where is the obvious room for improvement? What does she do, Sandy? Sorry, that was quite the rant, but what does she do to get better in 2021? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. And, you know, you, you know, to be honest with you, to answer that with a coaching hat, mm-hmm. I would have to like, honestly pay far more attention to many, many details against many, many players. But, I think that you brought up two things that I think are interesting points because a lot of people on TV bring them up and I think that they're, they're underselling a bigger picture. So people talk about the first serve percentage or the percentage of first serves. And then people talk about the return percentage, how many returns in play. Do you know what's probably the two most under-discussed things in tennis? When you try to develop your serve, people always talk about how much more power can you get? How much, how can you improve your percentage point two, three percent, whatever that number is that, that's going to matter? People don't talk about the fact that there's two types of development of the serve. There's the, well, there's more than, there's more than two. You got to develop the technique if the technique's not good. Yeah, sure. Sasha's Zverev, it's repeatedly talked about over and over <laughs> at exhaustion, right? Mm-hmm. Nauseam. You got to improve your percentage because your percentage might be consistently low, mm-hmm. which causes problems. But people don't talk about defending your serve. Yeah. Actually, how to actually win the game with your serve when your serve actually goes in the box. Mm -hmm. Right? So 
you know, you look at, you look at Kenan. First thing is I'm not a fan of her technique. Okay. But again, remember way back in the day when she started playing with dad, okay. The, whatever dad was doing at the time and whatever, whatever habit she had, he chose not to maybe, I don't even know if he chose not to, because I wasn't there. So I don't want to suggest something, sure. but the point is, is she now currently the tour player has that habit, right? So I'm talking, there's multiple parts. So why I would, what could you improve? I think you can improve how to hold serve, how to use what they want to categorize as the serve plus one, right? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I had to throw that little thing in there, right? No, I like so, it. You know, or the return plus one. But I think that that's, a, that's an interesting thing because there's other players, there's other girls that have issues with the service percentage. But when they get the serve in, they're really good at backing it up. Mm -hmm. So I think that might be one thing she could work on. Yeah, no, it's – so to your point, the placement is there. She hits her spots really, really well. And, it, mm -hmm. and she does, again, have such a wide arsenal of plus one shots, not just the big down-the-line forehand, but the short angles, the slices, the changing of direction. But, you know, again – she won 43% of her return points total last season. That was good for 34th in the top 50 of WTA players. Her win percentage on first serve points, she was at 34%. Now, her win percentage on fifty as on second serve points is at 57% as a returner. And those are both, you know, or that second number is good. That first number is not good enough. It's really not. And it's just, again... For Sonia Kennan, with someone with such a complete skill set, and I asked her this question when I spoke to her in Abu Dhabi, I think the biggest question is how does she make life just a little bit easier for herself? Because she's clearly going to be someone who wants to play 40, 50-plus matches during the course of the season, wants to play as many events as possible. And I just don't know if that physical of a game style can hold up over the course of an 11-month season. Now, last year, it held up in really well in two, three-month stretches. But can she do that for 11 months? I don't know. And that's why I'm holding. That's why I'm not buying. But I think that you have a good point, and I like the way you brought up can't hold up over the course of a yeah. X amount of time. But I think you, that's a really good point because here's the truth. And I've been hearing it nonstop for like a year, okay? You've got all these girls that have been getting, a lot of girls getting injured, right? That have been spending spells of time away from the game, right? And they're younger. You got, you know, you obviously have Kenan, right? Then you have Andrescu. Then you have whoever else is in that mix of getting hurt, coming out of the game, coming back in, right? See if they can recover. Here's the thing. What people fail to look at is that when players are younger, when they make a rise, whether it's Kenan or Andrescu or anybody else for that matter, when they make a rise, guy and girl, and they jump up and they do really well, when it's not expected, it's like a rocket ship that takes off, there's a bunch of things that they need to spend time with their teams figuring out, mm -hmm. right? But what everybody else expects to see or watch is just them keep going right keep going play match after match after match after match at a level at a level at a level and then keep going up and then when they get up there everybody does what they expect to see them oh they'll stay there they're going to yeah. stay there no the guys like roger rafa novak what people fail to remember about serena and venus do you remember way back in the day when you were like a baby but when you <laughs> when the podcast was just an idea or a dream right yeah, of course <laughs> honestly when I first started coaching, do you know what the biggest criticism of Serena and Venus was? The 
forehands. They don't. They're not playing enough. Oh. Why aren't they playing all the time? They should play more. They're what? Whatever, right? And guess what? Here's the irony. Now they're 38, 39, 40 years old, and they're still giving it a crack, right? And they've managed a career. Roger Rafa Novak. They had a long-term plan. It wasn't about let's obliterate the tour over two years and then disappear because our bodies can't sustain something. So I think we got to give, whether it's Kenan or anybody else, we got to give them a little bit of time to figure out the landscape they're now living in because it's not the same. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And to your question, what was I doing back then? You know, Sorry, I, I no, 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 no. Please, I, I, I want you to know that it's quietly it's a dual influence because I don't think my dad knows this, and he will never listen to the podcast, so it doesn't really matter. Because um, I'll just say, Alex, I'll just call you if I want to hear your voice. <laughs> um, my mom used to listen to Howard Stern because obviously oh, Howard okay. Stern's hilarious, and she honestly might still listen to him. I don't know, but we used to ride in the car a lot more than we do now, and so it's a combination of that. And then my dad would be like, "WWJ News Radio 950, traffic and weather together on the eights. We go to Michael Gruskin in the Call Sam Studio. Michael, what are you seeing out there? Thanks, guys." And that's what he would do while we're driving back from the airport. And so you want to know I why it. I ended up like I did? It's actually their fault. I love um, it. Good yeah. job, mom and dad. Well yes. done. Congrats, Marvel. That's 2002 Alex Gruskin. Uh, That's what I was up to. But anyways, no, to to your point, I agree. I think for Sonya Kennan, when I say hold, that's not to say I think she's going to fall outside the top 20 or even the top 15. But do I think she wins another Grand Slam in 2021? I'm not sure about that. And that's why I say hold. Because to expect her to continue to just skyrocket up the rankings, I don't think that's a fair expectation for her uh, heading into 2021. I'll share a quick thought Mm -hmm. on a relatable topic, but off of our list and then dive back into our list. Because I know that this conversation can probably go on for a week. We can do a week-long podcast without taking a break. My battery (laughs) problem. Okay. But the the reference of new landscape, right? I think it's a really important talking point and topic that people don't jump into enough. Okay. Osaka is a perfect example. Naomi, above everybody, has a completely different landscape than most of the girls for many different reasons, right? And I think that what she's learning and learnt both over time to do is what? Play and develop within the landscape that she now resides in because it's not the same as the one before, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody's watching her. Everybody cares. All the companies are on board. All the big money's coming in. She's supposed to win every match. She's going to be featured in every match. I'm sorry, but it's just not the same as it was. Is she going to be on stadium? Is she going to do this? Is she going to do that? She's expected to do it. And so whether it's Kenan or any of the other younger girls, even like Sviatek, right? She's a perfect example, right? I mean, I'm sorry. She's obviously, she's a great player, right? Iga's a great player, but did she not literally to some degree come out of somewhat of nowhere to do what she did at Roland Garros. And in the way she did, it wasn't just that she won it. It was like, this is my house, mm-hmm. right? Nobody else belongs here, mm-hmm. right? Just come hang out for a couple of weeks while I chart through the draw to get my trophy kind of a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So I just think a lot of these girls are just managing the landscape they live in and figuring it out over time because it's about consistency and longevity, mm-hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And by the time this podcast is over, I'll have full payouts. I'll be ready to rock and roll. I'll be fully orthodox. Uh, I think well, you and I should go for a sponsor. We should call, call Gillette. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, Dalton will hear that and he'll be like, let's do it, Alex. Uh, so we let's... might actually add that by the next one. But yes, you're right. Uh, speaking of someone who you know, has had the attention on them. That's the next player I want to turn to because our next player has had their atten- had attention on them probably since they were 14 years old and became the youngest player, I think, ever to participate in an mm. ATP Challenger match is a guy who was a Junior Slam champion, a top junior in the world, someone who did break through and have success, you know, is on the list with Alcaraz, Nadal, Djokovic, Gasquet as some of the best teenagers in ATP Challenger history. And a guy who, for some reason... People hold against that he's made six ATP finals before he's turned 21 years old, and yet for some reason because he hasn't won any of those finals, they hold that against him. And of course, I'm talking about Felix Oshir Aliassim, the talented young Canadian who enters this season at number 21 in the world. You look at what Felix was able to do last year. It was a pretty solid year for him overall. I believe he went 23-19 and 19 in tour-level matches, but of course, again, the three ATP finals all coming on hard courts two before the season got paused one coming at the end of the year in October same question to you as we asked last time Sandy on Felix Ogier Aliasim you buying you selling are you holding heading into 2021 I'm buying unequivocal buy make the case yeah I think that people have to hold their horses and cool their jets I think that there's no why would you ever even bring up the question well when is he going to win one Oh, I'm sorry. He's doing what he's doing at 21, Thank right? You. And he's get and he's getting to finals. So you'd rather have him not get to finals Thank and then when he just gets out of the air like and goes through a draw, oh, this is what we've been waiting for. Oh, well, you're a genius, okay? So, look. This is just th- quickly the stupidest thing about the LeBron James Michael Jordan argument is it's held against LeBron James that he's made 10 total finals in his career and he's 4 and 6. It's like, "Okay, would you have preferred him to lose before the finals?" Like, what what is Felix Ogier Aliassime supposed to do? Would you be placated by a semifinal exit six different times? Like, no. Like, it's the most ridiculous talking point. I, I think that I think that just from a functional and a, from a from a technical side and all that. Listen, the kids got it in spades. Mm-hmm. Like literally, he's got it in spades. Like if you were a coach and you got a young kid, like 13, 14, 15 years old, and athletically and technically, and you know what I mean, like in and just like fire and discipline and direction and maturity. If they're anywhere in the spectrum of like Felix's sort of whole vibe, you are you are having really good nights with your dinner and thinking, I can't wait to get to practice tomorrow. Right. <laughs> so so I'm looking at Felix like, look, I what I believe with Felix is I think he's again, he's such a specimen at six, three and a half, whatever exactly he Exactly. I met him actually once in Budapest four years ago when he played a challenger there. First of all, unbelievably nice kid. Can't can't find a nicer, you know, nicer young man out there, right? And he was four years ago, so he was at the time sixteen and a half, seventeen. He was like like a kid. Mm-hmm. And I just look at him, I just say, Listen, unbelievable hand speed. He's got every shot, moves like a gazelle. He does what he's asked, he does what he's told, he works hard. He's all in all the time. 
every, he's always and always all in, right? So what I think is the following, and this is why I'm buying. What I believe is when he gets to another final, because it's more than likely high level of percentage that he will do it sooner rather than later. When he gets over the, the mountain and he's holding the trophy, I can, I'll just say one thing, tennis world guys look out because yeah. right now he doesn't seem to hold have a you know okay yeah you're not going to get to a final of every week because nobody does that more or less right so i think he's still trying to figure himself out he's made a little coaching change i one of his coaches left that happened so there's an adjustment period there but i think listen he's got one way in the mind right one highway i want to try to be the best in the world right that's my goal be the best i can be and like i said when he gets over the hump and he holds that first trophy, I think it's only like not about when, but about how long it's going to take before he wins another and then another and then another. I mean, he's just too good not to. He's got everything. Yeah, I mean, you want to say he's 0-6 in finals? Fine. He's made finals on three different surfaces at the ATP level. Tsitsipas hasn't done that yet. I don't think Medvedev's done that yet. FAA has done that. Uh, you talk about the, just the numbers for him. You look at what he's accomplished through his first uh, few seasons. Again, he's a guy, you look at his first serve percentages. They've improved in 2018, 61%. In 2019, 63%, or 65%, excuse me. Last year, he was regressed a little bit to 64%. But that first serve win percentage continues to ascend. In 2018, it was 68%. 2019, 74.2%. Last season, 75%. I mean, the thing I like most about FAA is just I see the script. I see the future. With that serve, with that forehand, with his athleticism, his aggression, his willingness to play to win and move forward in the court— He's going to win a lot of matches, just like he is going to win a lot of matches where he just outpowers, hits his opponent off the court, and it translates across surfaces, and he's a comfortable mover across surfaces, and movement being so prevalent in the modern game, he checks that box off. Now, you want to pencil him in as one-dimensional? That's fair. He is a little one-dimensional right now. Not the best returner, plays aggressive on his second serve return, and is a guy who will get a little bit slap-happy, try to hit his way out of problems. But guess what? The attitude he has, the mindset, that's what you want to see a 20-year-old doing. You want to see him hit through his mistakes, but continue to get back to that stage. And uh, I, I say this every time I bring up Felix Ogier Aliasim. I can't... like. It's just go watch him play in person. You're going to watch one ball explode off of his racket. You're going to hear it, and you're going to be like, well, that's different than anything I've ever heard before. I'll give you – I agree with everything you're saying, and I'll throw in one more deciding factor in why I'm a huge by Felix, mm-hmm. okay? It's very simple. If everybody in the tennis world, all fans, want to learn a lot about how good a young player is and what people see in a young player, it's really simple. Anytime a young player like Felix gets calls from Roger, Rafa, and Novak <laughs> to practice, it's not because he knows how to hit a ball well. <laughs> okay? Let me, let, let, because they can get any – no one's not going to take their call. Hello? Right? Okay? Everybody takes it. Oh, Roger's calling. Yeah, I'll be there next week at 4 a.m. to practice. Sure. No problem, right? Okay? But 
they all say the same thing about him. All those three guys interviews say, what was it like practicing? Oh, you know, nothing but upside, right? He's going to be at the top. He will be at the top. He can be at the, he's doing everything right. He's, you know what I mean? Like nothing but great things. So obviously they're not buying his stock because obviously they're playing, but from a mentality standpoint and a game awareness and understanding standpoint, if the three greatest that have ever played a rat, played the game and picked up a racket are saying, Hey, listen, we love this guy on the court. This guy is the real deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody buy the stock yeah no i it's the easiest tip you'll get like people hold it against him that yannick sinner made a french open quarterfinal as it's as if it's felix fault that yannick sinner is also really freaking good and it's like no that's that's not how it works you just in tennis in particular they're mutually exclusive events yannick sinner being really good has nothing to do with the gross growth curve of felix ogier aliasim and it's just like look in the ATP live rankings right now, you look at the players under the age of 21. Who is the highest ranked 20-year-old in the world? It's Felix Ogier Aliassime at number 21 in the rankings. So all of these things matter. Yes, I agree with you. Felix Ogier Aliassime, unequivocal buy heading into 2021. And it feels like a buy low candidate too because for some reason he slipped out of that conversation. But for me... Other than he who shall not be named, Lord Voldemort, Alex Virev, <laughs> FAA is still the heir apparent. He's still the guy to me because, I mean, Sinner's great, but FAA's got it. He's absolutely got it, so it's bye, I mean, bye, bye. You know, inter- you know what's interesting is when we're talking about this and you're breaking it down and you're, you're talking about strong points of his game, right? Yeah. Just put the game, not, not percentages, not ranking, all that, all what I call that nonsense. Just the game, <laughs> right? Okay. You know what you made me think about, which I think is interesting, because when you think about young players and who to buy into, right? I think all the young players, guys and girls, the young players, mm-hmm. have one single thing that stands out on a sort of a functional level, like a yeah. game level, that's very interesting right now that can't be said or couldn't be said about players five years ago or seven years ago. So if you went down a quick list, right, a list, right, let's the Canadians. Felix, Dennis, Layla Fernandez, Bianca, you know, whoever else is in that mix, right? Then you go to Sinner, then you go to CeCe Potts, you go to T. You know what they all have in common? Coco Gauff, throw her in there because she's so young, right? Okay. Obviously, Ken, they all have no fear to come in. Mm-hmm. They, all, they all actually, they're all actually want to go in. Right. So they all actually play like they start one place. Right. And they work their way towards no fear of coming forward, no matter who they're playing. I think that says a lot about many things. And that's another reason why people should buy their stock. Right. Because of that, because if they're hitting big shots, but they're never going to come forward, then it becomes like a bigger challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. If they're not willing to do that. So, yeah. Anyway, just want to throw that in there because I was thinking about that with Felix and all these other players, and they all have that in common. No, that's a perfect segue to our next player. I'm going to switch up the order on you a little bit here because this is someone I have talked about a lot over the past 15 months probably of podcasting, someone whose results have jumped up a ton as well, someone who is quietly only 21 years old yet now inside the top 20 of the WTA rankings. And, you know, you talk about a willingness to move forward. She has that. She also, and I I make this joke now, in terms of, you know, there's the Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka power tennis neighborhood, right? It's an exclusive Palm Beach neighborhood. You got to pay the the renter's (laughs) fee. You got to play the clubhouse. 
trust, make sure everyone's happy, access to the golf course, dinners on yeah. Sunday, yada, yada, yada. And I think recently they held two board meetings, and they came to a vote, and they said, you know what, we're going to let Arena Sabalenka rent in this neighborhood whenever she wants because she has that sort of level of power tennis. She is a dynamic athlete. She belongs here. The other player who I don't think they let rent yet – but they're like, oh, she's your friend? Yeah, she can stay here for the two weeks as well, too. We like her a lot. She follows the protocol. She's cool. We just need to see a little bit more from her. Is the next player I want to talk about in Elena Rabakina? And I'm not going to say all of that and obviously not be buying her stock because I am. But I always like to hear you know, a third-party perspective, someone who's outside of my little cracked rackets tennis bubble who may have been watching Rabakina as well uh, from afar and just the power tennis she can display. 29-11 and 11 last year in 40 Pro Tour matches. She made the final in Shenzhen to start the season, follow that up with a title in Hobart and then finals in St. Petersburg. Dubai and Strasbourg as well throughout the course of her season. I just watch her play and it's, you know, it's you sort of power like that's what she's got right where it's just like it doesn't really matter what you're doing as her opponent it doesn't really matter what you have as your game plan if she executes on this day uh unless you also hang out in that neighborhood of firepower you're just not going to beat her and i think she has that gear and on a hard court in particular it's really really scary to me so my question to you here sandy on in the case of alina rabakina buy sell hold yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> your your lead-ins are fantastic. I, I can't even focus on what the topic yeah. is. I'm so awestruck by the lead-in. I'm like, whoa. Okay. Uh, I feel like I'm on a late night show and I'm blown away <laughs> without my drink. Um no, but you know what? You're 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 not wrong when you're when you're referencing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, listen, you know, power to spare, right? Speed yeah. to spare. My only and and I would be just in terms of flat out coming out with the buy sell hold, mm-hmm. buy. Okay. Mm-hmm buy huge upside okay huge potential two things to consider and i'm going to take us i'm going to take all the viewers and listeners out there back to a day long 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 time ago uh, when i had the pleasure and the privilege of working with camilla georgie okay and it was interesting because somebody like a rabakina Okay, and I, I apologize, young lady, if I said your name incorrectly. My sincere apology, not meant because I'm very big on name pronunciations. Mm-hmm. Can't stand when people mess up my name, so I don't want to do it to yours. Sander, the middleman, of course. Yeah, um, absolutely. You're, you're, I believe you can... I believe it's Rabakina, by the way. Rabakina. Okay, so just yeah. to make sure we're clear, I apologize yeah. if she ever sees this. I don't mean to. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, I hope so too. Uh, but and thank you for messing up my name. You can feel free to do it anytime. Yeah. Um, but no, but one of the things that stood out to me with Camilla when she was 17 was I knew within about, I literally knew within about five minutes, mm-hmm. literally on a court in Boston. Okay. <laughs> I knew like it was yesterday. I remember that day like it was yesterday. I knew immediately that she had the power that no matter who she's playing, Serena, Sharapova, anybody, she could scare them. Mm-hmm. There was only one question that I had, which is, can she can she maximize the targets and can she bring up the consistency of hitting production enough consistently over the period of tournament to tournament match to match that was my only question with her and uh you know she's had a great career amazing career but for me with rabakina did i, did I get it Rebecca, right yep oh my god 
Thank you on this great holiday. I can rest in peace for the rest of the day. Okay, I'll send her. I'll send her a card if I get it wrong. Um, no, but seriously, th that becomes the factor. Like if you've got that much power and you could hang with the big girls, right? The, those rare players. Isn't the question really going to come down to? Can you do it consistently over the course of a, a match and a and matches? Because there's a there's a phrase that I I like that I hear and I think. I'm going to make sure I give the correct credit to the person that I believe was the first person I ever heard it from, but I definitely, I use it when I talk to parents and kids all the time and players. I believe Paul Anacone said this. I'm not sure if I've heard it anywhere else, so I want to give him credit. But for me, when you want to live in that space up there, everybody knows one thing. They already know how good you are when you're on. They already know when you bring that unbelievable power what it's like trying to live with you. It's no picnic for an hour. Okay. Here's the question. What is her, what are, how good is she on her bad days? Because her bad days will come. And then the question is that power, that, that lethal hitting power, how does she harness it? Because if her high is that high that she can come out and beat Naomi or, you know, beat an Osaka or beat a Serena or, you know, make them a little scared but her low is like somebody 150 she could start looking ugly against that becomes the question and the problem because mm -hmm. that can't happen mm -hmm. so to that point the two performances that stand out to me uh from her last season were two matches where she served under 50 percent of her first serves in one of them was in the round of 16 in rome against julia putin seva in that match rebacana three set loss still seven six in the third and it's because even though she made only 50 49.6 uh, of those first serves she won 68 percent of her first serve points similarly earlier in the season she played carolina pliskova in the quarterfinals of dubai in that match, she made only 47% of her first serve. She won 80% of her first serve points in that match. So what that tells me, and you look at the numbers for her over the course of these past few seasons, her first serve win percentage has gone from 63% to 68% to 70% to 77% uh, through the early portions of early this season, late last season. It's an elite skill. She has an elite weapon. I think she was the number 10 server in the top 50, uh, but hanging with the likes of the Serenas and the Osakas and the Sabalenkas of the world on serve last year. And, you know, it's absolutely an elite skill. The fact that, you know, she has made what in the 2020 season, she made, I believe, five different finals dating back to midway through 2019. She's made seven. Uh, two of them have come on clay as well. I just think she's going to beat a lot of people, a lot of opponents with her serve. Her first serve is absolutely a weapon, and it's just, you know, again, she's not the best returner. She gets a little slap happy. I think she was like three spots below Kennan in the top 50 in terms of, I think she was at like 41% of her return points won overall last season. But, I mean, she did it for, she's done it now for 12 consecutive months. Like, when you rip off so a run like this, it's legitimate. So to your, to your point with a couple of those stats that I think are interesting because that goes back to our conversation about Felix, mm -hmm. right? Getting to finals, getting to finals, getting to finals, not winning one, and everybody's like, oh, well, he hasn't won one, right? Yeah, When's exactly. he going to win one? Like, seriously? Okay. Um, but to your point with her, right, it's interesting because, look, everybody knows if you pay attention closely enough to the pro tour, right, the tour life, there's a, there's a lot of really good players that have really amazing careers 
that actually have more losses than they do wins mm-hmm. and actually end up playing, you know, you think of careers that go 10 years or eight years or nine years where they're really out there doing it, being a real pro, making a really good living. But when you actually look at their stats and they're all done, they may have more losses than wins and they've actually barely ever played a final, right? So you look at this girl young and like you said, in the last you know year plus, and actually she may not be winning events, but she's playing a lot of finals. She's getting deep, she's making deep runs and she's doing it on more than one surface. Mm-hmm. So obviously when she's getting things right between that huge serve and then those big groundies, right? That listen, if she's that good with the big serve and the big groundies, then she's going to make a lot of girls really uncomfortable when they see her name in the draw. Because for everybody out there who doesn't believe this, this is the truth. When players do things, other players watch. And when they're playing a match and somebody else who they may have to play is already crossed over to the next bracket and they're coming up in two hours to play another match and they know that the, 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 the grand prize for winning is, oh, I got to go play this girl. Oh, good Lord. Right. That actually can affect how they think in the match and like whether they're, you know, quality or not. So listen, anybody who's doing what she's doing and keep playing, playing, playing finals, you only have to buy into that stuff. That's my belief. No, 32 and 11 in her last 52 weeks. Her only three losses coming to players outside the top 20 was to Daria Kasakina, three sets in Ostrava, Fiona Farrow, three sets at the French Open, and then a loss to Shelby Rogers. And we saw how good she was at the U.S. Open. So, yeah, I think this is a pretty unequivocal buy for Elena Rabakina as well. Hope all of you enjoyed part one of my conversation with pro tennis coach and consultant Sandy Middleman. Of course, I always enjoy getting the chance to speak with Sandy. It's why we went over two hours on this podcast, and it's why you'll be able to hear part two of this conversation tomorrow on the Mini Break podcast feed. On that podcast, it will be strictly a game of buy-sell hold. We have, I believe, five more players we go through, all, I think, fascinating players heading into this 2021 season, so I know that is a conversation all of you will enjoy and then again there's a lot of action going right on right now in the professional tennis world the weekly review preview on our website crackrackets.com you can find it there of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets if you're liking rate subscribe review to this show our great shot podcast cracked interviews inside out pod the sideline podcast i promise you're not going to regret subscribing to any of our cracked rackets content so be sure uh, to get on that bandwagon and a huge shout out to all of you who continue to listen, who continue to support us on Patreon. Another way you can support us by turning to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there as well. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the...
of an editing job we do day they do i should say day in day out it helps everything we do here on these podcasts sound that much better makes it that much easier for us so shout out to them for their tireless efforts and a reminder for any of you college tennis fans who are listening to this podcast we will be covering the ita kickoff weekend starting this friday throughout the weekend hoping to have as many as five hosts on our site as we jostle from feed to feed match to match as the action heats up across the country and the NFL red zone type show working title we'll figure it out by the time we launch but I know it's going to be a program all of you college tennis fans will enjoy so be on the lookout for that but with that in mind for my wonderful guests Sandy Middleman our super producers Fliegner and Westoff our friends at Midwest Sports and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone Thank you.